TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. It's so great to be with you this morning. Again, as you just heard, my name is Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of the program. And I'm so happy to have with me today again, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, who is the uh, president and CEO of The Connection, thus the name of the program. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Ann? Good morning. Good morning. I'm just, I'm feeling a little, you know, kind of crazy after some of the crazy weather that we've had, but I think hopefully that's passed. We still got hurricane season ahead of us, but we'll see what happens. We just got to make the best of it, right? That's all we can do. Well, we're so excited to have back on the program today, one of our regular guests, John Carl Casa, and he is the president and CEO of the Connecticut Nonprofit Alliance. And John Carl, last time we spoke with you and had you on the program uh, we were in the midst of the legislative session and, and talking about the budget and hoping that nonprofits would fare well after the session, which is now, I guess, over, but the dust is still yet to settle. So why don't you kind of update our listeners on really the outcome of, of what happened and what you guys are thinking, how that's going to impact um, the pockets of nonprofits? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. And hello to all your listeners. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, you know, when you are an organization that represents a large constituency, as we are, so many different kinds of nonprofits across the state, um, we have a lot of different interests. And General Assembly sessions being what they are, the results are often a mixed bag, depending on, depending on where you sit. Um, and this year is no different. I think overall, um, if we look at the state budget, which is much of what we talk about, and the overall increase in funding to nonprofits uh, was $280 million, uh, which is good, um, but it's not in every place, not for every kind of nonprofit. Um, and much of it doesn't have the kind of flexibility that we would have, uh, we would have preferred. So, you know, by any estimation, um, it, it's a considerable amount of funding. And this is funding going to nonprofits who have done without for Many, many years. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, people are very grateful for it. And, but we, you know, we, we, we need to look at the whole picture of what it is nonprofits receive and what it is they need. They have not had an increase, essentially, for 13 years coming into this year. 
by our estimation, that put them behind inflation about $461 million. We came into the legislative session asking for a five-year plan to get there. The Appropriations Committee subcommittee, or sub, I'm sorry, the Appropriations Committee and its chairs supported a seven-year plan to get there, and we uh, supported that. Um, in the end, the budget only goes out for the next two years. It doesn't put into place a long-term plan, and we think that's the kind of commitment that's that's needed because nonprofits have not had that kind of commitment um, from the state for many, many years, and they need that in order to move forward and take care of the people of the state. Well, we are extremely grateful for all of the work that you have done and the Connecticut um, Nonprofit Alliance to support our nonprofit um, agencies and to really understand the problems that we face. And we know by, by, you know, just what we see on the news and hearing what people are talking about on a regular basis, is definitely the increase of um, opioid, um, you know, overdoses, homelessness, mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera. And let's face it, COVID did not help that situation. In fact, it made everything worse. The crime is up all over the state, um, as we know, and um, treatment is very much needed. We, the other thing we know, and I know you've been supportive of that, John Carl, is, you know, a lot of uh, our non the nonprofits, my sister agencies and myself have you know, done a lot of work in collecting data to uh, discuss with uh, folks up at the state about how nonprofits are needed, why they're needed, and they're, they're saving the state money. If there wasn't nonprofits and programs and services available to our most vulnerable populations in Connecticut, um, it, you know, where would people be? It would be a massive, it would be a massive problem within our state. Um, so we appreciate, uh, you know, we do appreciate your support. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you were to look back to, say, the 1980s or maybe a little before then, uh, state and federal governments started to put into place policies that were closing larger institutions, um, and that often put people into communities without any kind of continuum of care or programs to take care of them. And the nonprofit community often uh, grew around those kinds of needs. And so it is, by, it is an extension of state services, and it's part of the state's network of taking care of people. And you're absolutely right. If the state had to do it themselves, it would cost a lot more than it, than it does to use nonprofits. And I, I think you're right also that uh, there needs to be an education job done so that it applies how much nonprofits do. If um, you were to go down the list, they deal with people who have substance abuse uh, needs people um, who are leaving prison and uh, trying to go back to their community. There are arts organizations that work with children in schools mm -hmm. and organizations that work with people that have intellectual disabilities. Uh, all sorts of um, nonprofit organizations that determine and largely define what the quality of life is here in Connecticut. We, we like to think of ourselves as a very um, caring and giving state. And I think a large part of what that is is um, made up of things that nonprofits do for the people, and, and we want to make sure that we keep that network of uh, nonprofit care strong. We're speaking with John Carl Casa, who is the president and CEO of the Connecticut Nonprofit Alliance. So um, from the, somebody who's kind of on the outside, politics really isn't my thing. But So the session is over. 
Um, it looks like, you know, because of your organization and a lot of your members, some headway was made. But do you know yet what the disbursement of the funds will be to nonprofits across the state? Not completely. Um, this is a particularly complicated budget year. Um, normally what happens is the state uh, puts together its two-year budget and it has line items, the money goes out in this program or that program, and, that, and that's it. This year, spending came to programs from at least three different sources. It came from this year's, this current fiscal year's surplus. Um, it came from the regular general fund budget, and it came from the federal ARPA money, the federal uh, COVID relief money that have, that's come to Connecticut, which are a couple billion dollars to the state. Um, all of those generated significant revenue for the state overall. The state has current year uh, budget surplus of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it's making deposits that will fill up the rainy day fund at around $3 billion. And we'll be able to make, <clears throat> because of that, um, because of the volatility cap law, which would take a couple minutes to explain, it is um, automatically putting another billion dollars toward long-term uh, pension obligations. Um, and the budget itself has built into it surpluses of about $2 billion for the next couple of years. So the state has funding capabilities, and it certainly has a backlog of needs, not just in the nonprofit area, but certainly in that area. Because as I was saying earlier, it's been a dozen years plus since there have been significant increases. You talked too about the fact that you requested a five-year plan to get you whole again, nonprofits, right? And they said, they said seven, but what about the fact that the makeup of the legislature will change during that time? Does that help you or hurt you? Well, we had strong support from the Appropriations Committee chairs, Representative Tony Walker from New Haven and Senator Kathy Austin from Sprague. And in fact, Senator Austin, speaking on the floor of the Senate, when she brought out the, the budget bill, said that she hopes that this is just the beginning of a longer-term plan. Uh, you know, every legislature that comes in can change what's handed to it by state statute. But I think if we have in statute a program that says in year X, nonprofits get this amount, the next year, nonprofits get a, another increase, then that gives us um, some hills to stand on. And it gives us goals to, goals to go after each year when we go before them, talking about what the, what's needed in the budget. So, Lisa, let me ask you a question as president and CEO of The Connection. So this, this money is thrown into, let's just call it a pot. Do you as a nonprofit and the other nonprofits then have to go and, and fight for your share? Or how, how do you advocate to get some of the dollars that have been allocated? Uh, no, I, it, that's not how it's going to work. We, we, we don't really have an option. We're going to be told where it's going. We don't. We can't say we want it here or there. We won't be able to control it. We could at we can you know always advocate uh, and do the work that we do um, with our um, you know folks that we work with. But again, it do, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. But what I will say is, you know, Senator Tony Walker has been really wonderful about truly um, at the at the approach, truly understanding the work that all nonprofits do. I have to say that um, those women have attended my board meeting. They have, um, you know, they have 
uh, spent numerous amounts of time understanding the programs that not only that the Connection runs, but other agencies run, and we really could not have two better ladies up at the helm. So, um, you know, we're really fortunate there um, because they do want to know, and I think that that's what's really, they think that's what's really important. Well, and hats off to them for taking the time to learn about the programs. Um, I always wonder, you know, these legislators, they're making so many decisions with so much money or so little money. And I wonder sometimes if they even know or have seen what it is that they're allocating funding for. So that's a, that's a great asset to have someone who's actually seen and heard and more importantly, you know, heard about the effectiveness of this program. Because now you add COVID to that. I guess the plus is from the federal government means more dollars, but also this is just my opinion, editorial opinion, is that I think that things are worse. You know, you talked about it's been in the news that opioid and alcohol and addiction is up. Um, crime is up in our state. There's just so many things that are that are wrong and have been made worse by the ep- uh, by the um, epidemic that I think that more people are going to be seeking these resources and if they're not there, they can't get the help. And we all pay for that as a society because if our society is sick and can't get help, we ultimately pay the price for that. We do. And it's an ongoing um, education effort, which really gets back to your earlier question. Um, Not just new legislators, but um, legislators who have been there from one year to another have a bunch of competing priorities in front of them. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And they need to choose, and they're making choices every year. And we have to make the argument as a constituency that these are important choices to make, that these matter to the people of Connecticut. If Lisa talks about the programs, I've toured her some of her facilities. If she talks about her programs, if people go there and see what she does, um, they're going to be supportive of those programs. So we encourage all of our members to do that. And we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is really key. I, I you know, the uh, we've spent a lot of time doing doing that work as well as other organizations of, you know, having legislatures come to our program, meet our clients, and again, I know John uh, John Carl, you're very supportive of this, um, and we provide testimony um, to legislators too. We have our clients go up and talk about how the programs have changed their lives, how they're giving back to society how generational cycles of abuse um, have stopped because of it, um, how the ch- their children have made progress. We've even had um, children that I held back in my arms, you know, 20-something years ago that are adults now, um, go up there and speak about how their life changed because their mother went into treatment. And I think these are the things that, you know, are important to hear. It's also important to um, for folks to understand, you know, where the dollars are going and what that impact is. And, We've been able to, you know, grow some of our programs because of being able to show how the state is saving money and how lives are changing and how people are getting out of the DCF system, and we're making really great progress in Connecticut. There's fabulous nonprofits in Connecticut, I I have to say, not just because of the work that I do and that my agency does, but I've really never worked with a more committed committed group of amazing men and women that run these run these programs have passion for these programs and continue to fight the good fight because we're all very committed to our, our you know our mission and we love the state of Connecticut and we want it to be a healthy you know productive society and what better than that to give people second and third chances sometimes because they weren't given that irregardless of their socioeconomic background 
Right. And you know, you right. Right. Exactly. Lisa, you make a really good point. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with John Carl Costa, the president and CEO of the Connecticut Nonprofit Alliance. You know, I was doing a little bit of homework that you provided me, John Carl. And one of the things that just kind of blew me away is that your alliance during this past legislative session, you tracked 165 bills. Um, To me, that's very interesting. And if you've ever seen, if anybody out there has ever seen a bill, um, it's not like it's uh, reading a book, right? It's very detailed. They use a different way, a different language. Um, So you really have to kind of know what you're looking at. They can weave in things. They can take out things, um, mix things up. And out of those bills that passed committee, um, 52 of those passed the House and the Senate. And from what I understand, those are the ones that benefited the Nonprofit Alliance and all of your members. So 165 bills. Talk a little bit about how cumbersome it is to keep track of what's in those and where they're at. Well, I mean, first of all, there's a reason that some of the hair has fallen off the top of my head. And there's been uh, several decades of looking at those bills as they make their way through the General Assembly. Um, they, There are... Bills of all sorts that touch nonprofits because the constituency is is so broad. Um, we have fought for many years, for instance, to have nonprofits retain um, their contract the amounts of the contract that they get from the state when they can provide services more efficiently and then take that money and use it to provide more services. So, um, if I explain it, the, the state. Um, gives a road contractor, for instance, a million dollars to build part of a road or a culvert, say. Um, That builder goes out and does the jobs for whatever it costs, and they keep that million dollars. Well, in many many situations, nonprofits get a contract to provide a service. If it costs less than a million dollars, they got to give the difference back. Well, that's no incentive to be efficient. Um, and, and nonprofits want that incentive because they want to be able to take what they save and use it to do more things for more people. We were able this year to get legislation that allows them to do that. Um, and that's one of the bills we feel really good about. Um, there's a bill that passed that expands the use of telemedicine so that people can, for instance, talk to a therapist by telephone and get that kind of treatment. It was started um, by the governor's executive order during during the pandemic, and it's now being continued by the uh, by the by legislation that passed. If you think about that, people who can't get to a therapist's office for a variety of different reasons now have access because they can talk to somebody on the telephone. Um, makes a huge difference. And these are the kinds of pieces of legislation. That, that we are dealing with really on a week-to-week and day-to-day basis. There are, of course, um, always some things that disappoint us. Uh, we were, we've been fighting for a couple of years to maintain the property tax exemption for nonprofits across the state, and that fell short again this year. Um, we think that is a major mistake. Uh, we think that nonprofits are tax-exempt under current statute, but municipalities are going ahead and pursuing them anyway and giving them tax bills. And every dollar that they're passing along to the municipality is a dollar that's not going to provide services. So it seems um, sort of a uh, losing proposition to be taxing organizations that exist to save government money. 
Yeah, the, those tax bills. <laughs> not happy about those tax bills, John Carl, because like you said, it just it takes money away from an already depleted um, amount of money. And, you know, again, like you said, if you're given a million dollars to run a program and serve so many clients, the other things that, you know, don't come into play is also the types of clients we're getting and the additional services that they need. And how do you perform those services in a way that's ethical and moral, right, and do the best that you can? And, you know, usually in the past when we've had budget issues, the first place, you know, you look to where could you cut back is always the, the budget line for, you know, payroll and staff. But you, we can't do that because then the quality of our services um, won't be where they need to be. So it's always an ebb and flow, and, you know, we're always trying to work things out, and it's never an easy place to stay because you can never be sure from one minute to the next, you know, are we going to, you know, get this funding? What if it goes out for bid again? You know, how will that work? So it's sort of a constant influx. John Carl, one of the things that I read here too is that in um, Senate Bill 1202, it allows private providers, however, to retain their um, unspent revenues. So why are they different than a nonprofit? Uh, that's that's sort of a term of art for a certain kind of nonprofit. Um, there are there is an enormous range of different kind of nonprofits. I briefly mentioned our organizations uh, before. Those are nonprofits. You know, the Bushnell Theater is a nonprofit, for instance. Um, but private providers is a term that's used for folks like Lisa um, who provide health services or um, human services, people who provide mental health services, substance abuse treatment, um, treatment for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, um, organizations that work with the Department of Children and Families, um, those kinds of organizations are thought of as private providers. Oh, I see. It's just the term is a little confusing for me. So, Lisa, I'm, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are um, after all this came out and John Carl's put out all of the information to all of his members. What was your initial reaction to how things worked out in the end? I, I think because I um, never get um, hopeful about these things and I always think we're not going to get anything. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> um, it's true that I didn't get myself uh, overly excited, so I was grateful for what we did get. Um, I know that some of my peers are not feeling that way, um, and that's not a negative thing because um, some people are in better financial sh- shape than others, which is just a, a, just a huge problem in general. But having said that, I am grateful for you know what we are going to be getting. Um, it's better than nothing, and when you get nothing, something is better than nothing. Um, and again, a lot of this has to do with the amazing efforts that you know John Carl put in with. Uh, with all of the members of the nonprofit to get this passed. Um, but considering that we haven't seen anything in 13 years, you know, right. this is, it's, it, it's better than, it, it is, it's better than nothing and it helps. And we just continue to fight the good fight. Right. You know, but yet the work still has to get done. And the people who are trained to provide these services, you know, need to get paid. There's so much that goes into that. So 13 years, I, you know, it's just, it's mind boggling mm-hmm. for me. It really is. I think, 
uh, the biggest thing, too, that we're seeing throughout the state of Connecticut, irregardless of whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit or whatever business you run, is COVID has really impacted the ability to retain um, and hire um, employees. So live employees who, let's say, were per diem are collecting stimulus, so therefore they don't want to come back to work. Mm -hmm. Um, The state, we can't compete with the, the salary that state pays, so we lose staff to that. And you know, without the staff, who is our most important resource, you know, it's difficult to keep staff. Um, but the problems, I wish I could say the problems are going away. The problems are getting worse. And I, and again, the pandemic did not help. Right. Well, John, Carl, we've got just a, a few seconds left. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with before we thank you for being on the program? Well, thank you for having me. And um, I urge listeners to get to know the nonprofits in their communities. They do fantastic jobs, and they do it in a very efficient way. They've had to do it, as you've heard from these folks today. They've had to do it um, with lessening resources as their need has increased and demand has gone up. So, you know, get to know who they are, and and I will bet that you'll be lobbying your legislator to help them, too, because they really are a great resource for the state. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. John Carl Kassef, CEO of the Connecticut Nonprofit Alliance, thank you again for putting up the good fight. Take a few days off on us, okay? You've earned it. (laughs) (laughs) He has. All right. Well, thank you both for a great conversation. And, of course, thanks to all of you, our listeners, for tuning in to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. Audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.